I am Dr. Nia, your pocket geriatrician, memory specialist on a mission to democratize aging knowledge to the sandwich generation so that you are empowered to care for the older adults in your life and care for yourself. Welcome back to Ask Dr. Mia podcast, Conversations on Aging Well. And today I have special guest and friend Jeff Bloomfield, who is an accomplished um, and dedicated lawyer uh, focusing on tax and estate planning. Um, in my work with families dealing with dementia and other age-related conditions, estate planning, and all the legal questions that oftentimes surround someone who may have diminishing mental capacities is a common area of questions. So I thought um, I wanted to bring Jeff on to have a conversation on the podcast. So Jeff actually holds an estate planning certificate and an LLM in tax from Georgetown University Law Center. And he also taught as an adjunct professor at the Elon Law Wills Clinic, where he trained law students on drafting estate planning documents for North Carolina uh, probate process. So depending on where you're listening to this podcast, laws are highly state-specific. So today we're going to be specifically focusing on the North Carolina process, but uh, hopefully there will be uh, things to consider regardless of where you are. So welcome to the podcast, Jeff. Yeah, thanks you for having me, Mia. Thank you. So let's jump right in. Um, first of all, Jeff, can you kind of help us define some terminology? There's a lot of terms that I think gets used interchangeably, but they're definitely mean different things. So what is estate planning versus power of attorney versus guardianship, living will? It seems like Nobody really knows exactly what those are and when they're needed. And when do you need a lawyer versus not? Yeah, that's great. That's a great question. Uh, so a lot of those documents you just mentioned, like the power of attorney, are part are usually part of an estate plan. And an estate plan is kind of putting together all-encompassing documents. So that can be a will, a trust, um, your durable power of attorney, or some people know this as a financial power of attorney, and then all of your healthcare documents. So a healthcare power of attorney, uh, living will or advanced directives, and also like some HIPAA authorizations as well. So that kind of will kind of make up an estate plan. And then how you kind of tweak those really depends on your specific situation. Gotcha. And I know I, I commonly tell people the difference between a healthcare power of attorney and a durable power of attorney or a financial power of attorney, where as a physician, I can document and help fill out someone's healthcare power of attorney. And that document by itself does not necessarily need a lawyer, uh, but it has to be, um, uh, uh, it can still be of legal consequence. Uh, but the durable power of attorney is something that really deals with people's assets. And that's something where I do oftentimes recommend for people to see a lawyer. And thank you for explaining about estate planning, how it's an all-encompassing process, depending on what the person needs. So how is yeah. a trust different from, um, say, someone taking over as the durable power of attorney? Yeah. So so a lot of times what people are, when they're most familiar with is like a revocable living trust. And that is something you set up during your lifetime and you 
can fund it with certain assets, but you can also take assets out and put them back in and you can change it however you want while you're alive. And then once you pass away, the trust is kind of going to decide, you know, how are these assets going to be directed to my heirs? Um, are they going to stay in trust or are they just going to kind of everything's going to go to my, you know, my chosen people and that's, that's it. Or is this something that's going to continue on maybe to protect someone with special needs or you could, if there's a spouse, right? So you mentioned dementia. A lot of times you don't want to leave everything to a spouse with dementia. Um, so the trust can continue to add additional protections. Gotcha. So how then, is a trust different from a will then? So a will is kind of handles a lot of the same stuff, but a will kind of ends. It's going to end no matter what, once you pass away and your estate's administered and a will is going to force you into the court system. Oh. Right, with a, so with a trust, you can avoid a lot of the court system. And so that is a big plus to the trust because you don't, sometimes you think you have a really simple estate, but things can get more complicated, you know, if you have someone with dementia or you have kind of circumstances that you didn't foresee, maybe you have a kid that has special needs or a grandkid that has special needs and is now inheriting and that inheritance can really mess up government benefits. And so with a trust, it kind of keeps everything kind of nice and clean. It keeps it out of the court system. Uh, it's a lot less friction, right? So I always tell my clients when they're kind of asking the, the big difference about that is like, well, when you pass away, the cost to administer a will is usually about five to 6% of your estate. The cost to administer a trust is usually comes out around like 1.2% is how it is right now. So there are significant savings that can happen there for your heirs and then also significant protections. So beyond just, you know, making sure you avoid probate. Yeah, what is, what is probate and what are some of these protections mean from the court? Oh, absolutely. So probate is when you pass away, just because you have a will doesn't mean who you've named in your will automatically gets everything. You have to submit that will to the court and the court has to approve the will. They have to approve your selection as an executor. And then the court monitors the whole process and they monitor, you know, all of the accountings, they monitor um, all of their filings and everything else that kind of goes into probate. Uh, they might, you know, kind of look at stuff. You're going to have to like give bank accounts and all kinds of other records you might not want as a public record. And so that's what happens with a will. And the purpose of a trust is it keeps everything kind of out of that system. Right. So you're not having to get approval from the court to do, you know, what you said you wanted to do. Right. So if you said, you know, I want my grandkids to get everything. You don't have to run that by the court system. It just the trustee is just empowered to do it and make it happen. And so there's a lot less friction there. Um, and then for as far as protections, like we mentioned before, if you have a will and you say you have a special needs, let's just say, for instance, you have a special needs grandchild. And your will gives everything to your grandchildren. And you didn't know, you know, you didn't really plan to have a special needs grandchild. You didn't, it wasn't in the cards, like when you made the will. Well, that special needs grandchild is going to get their inheritance no matter what. And that chunk of cash can have significant impacts on, um, on any kind of benefits they're set up to get. With a trust, you can kind of build in those protections in advance. So maybe you don't have a special needs grandchild right now, but in the future, you know, 
you end up with one. Well, you could build in protections in your trust right now that if that scenario ever comes to play out, you're protected and you don't have to pay everything out to that grandchild and mess up those benefits. You can pay them into a trust for the grandchild to kind of hold them as like what they call, we call it like a third party supplemental needs trust. Interesting. Yeah, that gets complicated really quick. My mind is already spinning. Right. Um, and I think when you when you're talking about government benefits, I think in my mind I start thinking about Medicaid, especially uh, mm-hmm. because it is the the uh, insurance for the poor, and oftentimes it will cover uh, people with disability not being able to work. Is that what you mean in terms that, of? Yes, that yeah. is that is the big one is Medicaid. Okay. Absolutely. So what are some common issues that you see as relates to sort of Medicaid? And um, I know Medicaid pays for a lot of long-term care services mm-hmm. in our country, along also with uh, child uh, children who need ongoing special needs, even as they become adults and other mm-hmm. specific situations. Yeah. So a lot of what I do around Medicaid is kind of protective planning, advanced planning, So it's kind of recognizing I might need Medicaid in the future and I don't want to have like all of my assets go to funding my care. Like I want to leave my kids something. So what you can do is you can set up trust that protect those assets while you're alive and then kind of when you're in long-term care. So the government is not going to come back and take those assets because when you're on Medicaid, um, the big issue is it's a thing called, I don't know if you've heard of this, it's called the clawback. And so <laughs> Medicaid will claw back anything they've paid for your care out of your estate. And so a lot of this hits a lot of families really hard because they don't, they're not prepared for it, right? And you might have a family farm, you might have a house that's been in, in the family forever. And now mom or dad has been on Medicaid and long-term care. And there's been no planning done to kind of protect that that property. And all of a sudden, this property that's been in the family for a couple, a generation or two is is yanked away in the clawback to pay for mom and dad's care after they've passed away. And so there is a lot of planning that can be done to protect those kind of assets in advance. I see. So potentially someone could put their home um, that they live in or, or what other uh, other assets that's been in their family into a trust and separate out that asset from the rest of their assets in terms of um, the one thing that I oftentimes talk about is to spend down to become mm-hmm. eligible for Medicaid, especially for yeah. people who are Medicare eligible. Um, there's a lot of misconceptions about what Medicare will and will not pay mm-hmm. for. In fact, Medicare really doesn't pay for much of long-term care services at all. So a lot of my patients end up having to spend down on how much their assets are until they're poor enough to qualify for Medicaid. Uh, But the clawback is something that I did not learn about until recently. Yeah. Yeah. So the spend and the spend down kind of works in conjunction, like with that kind of trust planning, because you do need to spend it down. But what that does, what the trust does is it gets a lot of stuff out of your estate. Hmm. So it gets those assets out of your name and into the name of a trust. And so you can, you can protect them that way. And then you're not, um, 
you're not running into the situation years down the line where you're going to have those assets clawed back. Like once they've been into the trust, you've got a window, you've got to go five years. So a lot of times the people that do this planning, like in their your mid sixties to late sixties are a great time to kind of do that planning, but you have to have an honest conversation. Like, are you going to need this kind of care? Right. Because I have a lot of times I have people come to me and they're in their eighties and they're like, I need to do this. Like this is going to happen to me. And it's too late, right? Because you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it the five years. You have a five-year window, and if you don't make it that five-year window, um, it's just not going to happen. And so I've got to kind of have a hard conversation and say, you know, we you've waited too long to kind of do this type of planning, and like we could do it, but it's not going to help you because the likelihood that you're going to need that care before five years is very, very high. I see. And I think when you mean the five-year window, you mean that Medicaid will look back the previous five years into whether or not that trust was, say, set up five years before Mm -hmm. you started applying for Medicaid. And uh, if someone, you know, in their 80s, statistically, they may not live until their 90s. And when they're in their 80s and say they need long-term care services starting at 85 and they started planning for this at 80, then that falls within the five-year window that you were Mm -hmm. talking about. Is that right? right? Exactly. Exactly. Okay. And what are some other common issues that you see in your practice with families and clients regarding estate planning, you know, things that maybe uh, a lot of people don't know about and are surprised to find out? Um, Yeah. I mean, from kind of like your perspective of like the population that you work with is a lot of people um, don't realize like what you need to do to get a power of attorney in place or for like a durable power of attorney. I have people, a lot of times I have people come to me and mom or dad are in a bad situation. They're like, I need a durable power of attorney for my mom or dad. And you ask, well, a couple of questions about mom or dad. And it turns out mom or dad is non-responsive, you know, and they've, they've just gone way too far. And you have to kind of have that conversation. Like, like a person has to be very competent to, um, make that durable power of attorney. And because those are very, that's something very powerful that you're handing over to another person. And so they need that kind of competency to know what they're doing. So you can't just make a durable power of attorney for anyone. And then you have to have the hard conversation. Once you realize you can't make a durable power of attorney for your parents is that what you really need is a guardianship. And a guardianship again, throws you back into the court system. Like you need to be approved for the guardianship. And then you need to keep detailed records and submit those to the court every year to maintain that guardianship. Yeah, the guardianship process is one where it gets very complicated. And um, unfortunately, I've sometimes seen uh, families kind of get into emotional turmoil over who is the guardian, Mm -hmm. which sibling wants to be the guardian versus not want to be the guardian, which oftentimes is different from the person who's actually providing the care. Mm -hmm. I I can say for my colleagues as well, who are um, seeing a lot of people with memory loss, um, I've oftentimes written letters saying, you know, this person may be still in a very early stage in their dementia journey and and can name Mm -hmm. someone who can Mm -hmm. be their um, power of attorney because you know, naming someone as your surrogate decision maker is a relatively 
simple decision come come into estate planning or come into financial details mm-hmm. um so so that that gets tricky and i obviously no one plans on uh getting right, dementia right. and and so it it's something that sometimes i i cannot reasonably write a letter like that because mm-hmm. the person has already progressed to a stage of dementia where i'm not sure if they really understand what it is that they're signing legally mm-hmm. Yeah, so that would be that would be a really good time to pull a lawyer in because our our standard of what of competency differs a lot from from your all's standard of competency for a doctor, right? For us, they need to be able to tell us who their heirs are and the disposition of their estate. And I have a number of like former clients with de- like a dementia diagnosis who are very, you know, they're very clear in the morning. Right. You meet Mm -hmm. with them in the morning and they can tell you, like, these are all my kids. This is what I own. These are my bank accounts. Um, This is where I want it to go. And you meet with that same person later on in the afternoon and they are not the same person. Right. 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 So from a legal perspective, as long as they can tell us that, like, then we can prepare those documents for them and get them in place. So it's a, a lot of times it's like working, you know, with the person to be like, I know you have this dementia diagnosis. That doesn't mean you can't make an estate plan, right? You just need to be able to tell me these things. And then you need to be able to tell me these things when we sign the documents. So a lot of times, you know, we can hurry up and get something in place um, before it's too late. So just because you have a dementia diagnosis, that doesn't mean you're not competent to make an estate plan anymore. Gotcha. And is estate planning really um, only for people who might have a lot of assets? Like, I'm just trying to think um, that, yeah. Yeah, who, no. Who are the people who might need an estate planning? I mean, every everyone should have an estate plan. Like almost, you know, every single, if you own any type of property, um, if you want to see, you know, your stuff go to a certain person, like any, any assets, right? Because we talked before about like a grandkid with, um, like special needs, a very small inheritance can really mess up those benefits. Mm-hmm. And the same, like the same with a spouse as well. Like you can have, you know, you, you don't need that much wealth to mess up government benefits. Yeah. Yeah. And I know in North Carolina, I mean, every state is different in terms of what is eligible in terms of amount of assets for Medicaid eligibility. And of course, Medicaid expansion kind of raises the the level of where Mm -hmm. someone might be eligible. Um, So uh, converting a little bit away from Medicaid, um, how does one find a reputable lawyer besides, you know, word of mouth? Um, I mean, word of mouth is always great. Uh, I would kind of look for like how long they've been in practice. I would look for, um, you know, what kind of organizations do they belong to? Um, so there's a number of like different estate planning kind of organizations. Like there's the estate planning council that I belong to. Um, there's other places like wealth council as well. I also belong to that one as well. And it's just for like ongoing kind of training and, and things of that nature. Uh, but I would like encourage people to kind of look for someone who kind of focuses just in that area. Like I would not, I'd be hesitant to pick a lawyer who, you know, is willing to do your traffic ticket. He's willing to do your divorce. He's willing to do your estate plan. You know, he's willing to do, you know, the, the closing on your house. Like, like, I think that's kind of, that's kind of dangerous. We call it in the, we call that do- practicing door law, 
which is like, you'll, you'll take anyone that comes to your door. And so I would be, I would be hesitant to trust your estate plan to someone like that. I mean, I'd be hesitant, you know, you want someone who, this is what they do. This is what they focus on. Um, they are, you know, they're getting all of their continuing legal education stuff is focused on that. And, and so that, that would be my recommendation if you're just kind of like starting from like a Google search. Right. Right. And, and I think that's the same for, for medicine as well. Sometimes there are people who are great at having a huge breadth of experience mm -hmm. and uh, expertise, but sometimes you need someone who has that depth. Um, certainly, you know, you wouldn't want me to deliver your baby. I, I could probably do it <laughs> in a pinch, but that is not uh -huh. my preferred sure. procedure. <laughs> sure, absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and I know there's also a lot of these online estate planning programs that pop up and some of them mm -hmm. have even uh, emailed me asking if I can feature them on the podcast. Um, I'm a little suspicious of them and I would just want to hear from you as to, you know, what have your other clients experience in using them or uh, what your thoughts from a, from a lawyer perspective? Yeah. Um, so I think, I think you're right to be suspicious. And I don't say that in a, um, I don't say that in a, like a self-serving way because we actually, as a firm, we make more money off of these companies that screw up estate plans than we do people getting their estate plans done by us. Oh my. So, so if everyone did it that way, I, I mean, as a firm, we would make more money, but that's not, you know, that's not why I got into this. And I want to see people like do well. I want to see people be taken care of. And the thing that you don't get with those um, kind of fly by night internet um, will makers is it's really just a software and they're not having the hard conversation. Like, are you going to need Medicaid in the future? Um, do you have, you know, do you have a child or a grandchild with special needs that, you know, you could potentially kind of wreck their benefits with your, estate plan, you know, how those are the questions that aren't kind of being had. And I don't think, um, a lot of times with like, kind of like the click through, you know, answer these questions, um, you don't get that kind of feedback and that kind of hard discussion that you get. Like if you're, if you're sitting down with someone that does this all the time and they should be comfortable, you know, having a hard, a hard conversation with you, you know, and asking you kind of tough questions about your situation, your health situation, your financial situation, and then someone who's going to, you know, be honest with you about it. You know, like I've had plenty of people that say, no, I'll never, I'll never need Medicaid. I'm not, you know, they kind of see that as like, um, you know, they're not, they've worked hard their whole life. They're not going to ever use government benefits. And so to try to like bring that up is a hard thing for them to reckon with. But when you sit down with an attorney that does this, um, you need to have those hard conversations and be like, no, I mean, just because you've worked hard your whole life. I mean, that's why you want to do this. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that, so that's my concern there with those type of, um, you know, software programs that'll, you know, you just plug in some answers and they spit out a will for you. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're attractive because they're a lot less expensive than meeting with a real mm -hmm. lawyer on doing the estate planning process. And, um, and it's unfortunate that you have so many clients who kind of had the online programs turn out poorly and not, not specific for their own situation mm -hmm. and kind of creates a, um, uh, a situation where it costs more to fix the errors mm -hmm. than just doing them 
right, right. the first time. Right. And I also send, tend to see a lot more family strife with those type of plans hmm. because there's no one for beneficiaries to kind of turn to and kind of get an understanding of, you know, why it was done this way. I see. So you so, mean like after someone passes away and they, there, exactly. there's, there's and differences they, in opinions or people mm-hmm, have questions mm-hmm. and they say, well, why did mom give this thing to one child versus another? Right. 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 Yeah. Well, that gets really tricky. <laughs> <laughs> That's where like call for help, call for help. <laughs> well, well that, so that right. That's usually what happens with those type of plans is um, it'll start off. Right. They'll, they'll start, they'll try to probate the plan themselves as well. Like after mom or dad passes away and they just, it just gets into too much trouble. And then they, and eventually you've got to rope a lawyer into it. And yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, when you say probate themselves, do you mean like the family goes to the court to yeah. try to, um, right. Right. Um, they'll try and, and they'll try and file all the, right. Okay. Try and file all the paperwork themselves and administer and collect the bank accounts and things like that. And so that's a lot of times, um, you know, a disgruntled family member will be like, I don't like how it's going. And Mm -hmm. that's when lawyers get brought in and then everything gets just a lot more expensive where it'd be a fraction of the cost had you just, you know, gone to a lawyer, gotten the plan done. And then you've kind of got enough because when you pass away, like the lawyer's there to kind of help your heirs and your kids and everyone like just kind of understand the process and walk them through it. I see. I see. So, yes, I think that this is the benefit of advanced planning versus reacting to a crisis at the time that it happens. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Anything else that you want to share with our audience, Jeff, in terms of things that you wish everyone would just know before they come to your door? Um, well, I mean, you don't have to know any. You, know, you really don't have to know anything before you come to their door. That's kind of how we work is like our first appointment is a strategy session just to kind of get to know you. You get to know us. And just kind of, kind of build out like what, you know, what's appropriate for you and you know, what's not appropriate. And, and so that is like, I don't want people thinking before you go and you talk to a lawyer, you have to do a lot of like legal research. Um, it should just really, you want to find someone that you're comfortable with and someone who can ask you hard questions and might ask you uncomfortable questions. And I would say if you're getting asked uncomfortable questions, um, about finances, about kind of family relationships, you've probably got a pretty good attorney that you're dealing with. So. I see. So the avoidance of uncomfortable questions is actually a red red flag. I think it would be. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I think that's kind of the same <laughs> when people come and see me for memory loss. If I tell them uh-huh. something uncomfortable, um, they probably come to the right place because nobody right. has told them the thing that they think has been happening for years because mm-hmm. everyone kind of danced around the subject. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Well, thank you for joining us. Appreciate your time. And I will uh, link uh, Jeff's um, uh, law office, Carolina Estate Planning, in today's show notes, as well as just some general information regarding the topics that we talked about today. So thank you and see you all next time. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you've enjoyed it, please share it with someone who might like it. Review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this episode and join my email list to directly communicate with me on miayangmd.com. 
I do not speak for any employer, funder, but myself. For your or your loved one's specific health challenges, this podcast serves as a general educational purposes. Original music by Grant Wills. This podcast is produced by Builder Librarian. And finally, let's all put a hand on our heart and repeat after me. I will love myself so that I can love on others. <laughs>